Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I'm all about you thriving in life and growing in your relationship with Jesus. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we are learning how to live as God's people, reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Well, something's a little bit different with this message today. We're going off to yearly meeting, uh, myself, my wife, and my son, so we won't be in church on Sunday. So, I recorded a video message for the church, and I'm going to include the audio of that in this week's podcast. So the introduction there will sound a little bit like I'm talking to a church on Sunday morning, and it's because I was getting ready for that video. But uh, that will be our message also for this podcast. Here we go. Good morning, Valley View. I'm sorry I can't be with you today. Betsy and I and Seth are up in Canton, Ohio at our denomination's annual conference. Uh, We'll be coming back Monday and we'll be worshiping with you next week, but I wanted to record a message for you here today, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to start with just this little short story here. Uh, There was a reporter who was interviewing a man who was celebrating his 100th birthday. And uh, the reporter was asking all kinds of questions. And finally, he got to one that said, hey, what are you most proud of? And the old man thought about it for a while, and then he said, you know, I don't have an enemy in the world. And the reporter said, wow, really? You don't have an enemy in the world? Yep, I don't have an enemy in the world. That is so inspiring. And the old man said, yep, I have outlived them all. (laughs) Probably not quite the way you should treat your enemies, just hoping to outlive them. Well, today we're going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And our main passage of Scripture is often quoted. It has a lot of passages in it you're going to be familiar with. Things like eye for an eye and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and love your enemies. But at the same time that these are so often quoted, they're also often misused. And if I'm honest... These words of Jesus are some of the most difficult ones that he gives us to live out. He calls us, in a sense, to turn down opportunities to get payback when we've been wronged. He calls us to give things away that maybe we may not feel ready to give. And he asks us to love those who do not love us. And that's very hard to do. And the final words of the passage, probably the most terrifying of them all, from Matthew 5.48, where Jesus says, be perfect. None of us are perfect. He's getting at something else. Be complete, be mature, be fully grown is what he's saying there. But let's go ahead and read the whole text. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Jesus speaks and he says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them over the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone wants, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles and give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, most of us read those words and say, well, those are good. I, I like those. We, we should love our enemies. At the same time, these words are impossible to live out. As much as I want to turn the other cheek and love my enemy, there are also moments where I don't want to be pushed on, uh, any further and, and I'm just exasperated by someone and I don't want to give them one more inch. To sum it up, the great evangelical commentator John Stott said this, at some point, the Christian will have to live out these words more literally than they would like, to a higher cost than they would like to pay. So what is it that makes these words so difficult? I've mentioned for several weeks now that Jesus has told us that he's not replacing the law, but fulfilling it. There, we found it over and over again from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. However, the eyes were, the, however, the words, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, are very much a part of the Old Testament law. And it appears as though Jesus is replacing these. And I kind of get it. And if you go to Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 to 25, you'll read this. If there is any serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. Leviticus chapter 24 verses 19 through 20 says this, Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. One more verse comes from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 through 21. The judges must make a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelite, then do to the false witness as the witness intended to do to the other party. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this, and they will be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Those are pretty strong laws. So what's Jesus saying? It looks very much like he's unraveling the law of the Old Testament. And then we might ask ourselves, do we even like these laws in the Old Testament? They seem very fierce, don't they? Well, here's the thing. Jesus' teaching is not necessarily about legal situations it's about face-to-face -face confrontations, face-to-face -face personal relationships. Jesus is addressing a common teaching of his time among the Pharisees and scribes of the law uh, regarding these Old Testament laws. See, the people holding the power of Jesus' day, they took God's law in the Old Testament, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and decided, you know, if this is good for the courtroom, it's good for our personal relationships as well. And so those passages in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they were misused, but they originally were intended by God to be a legal framework to bring order in the chaos of life and handling legal disputes. So in Jesus' day, 
the people used these laws as a guide for how they treated family and friends and neighbors and, yes, their enemies, but they used it as a guide for how they conducted their personal relationships with them, not their legal disputes. So instead of building healthy relationships, uh, they treated each other with legal limits, bare minimums. How do I need to treat you? Where God wanted order, in place of the chaos that sin brings in, the law was instead used as an excuse to treat family and friends and, yes, enemies, sinfully. Jesus' teaching invites us to depart from beating each other with the letter of the law and instead asks us to live out the law in the sphere of relationship. Jesus is not asking us to kill them with kindness, although kindness is good. But instead, he's calling you to become holy. He's calling you to become the best version of yourself, living for God and then wanting others to live for God. So Jesus says, turn the other cheek, give them your cloak, love your enemy. That's just a summary of some of the things he says in our passage. And that's all well and good, we might say. It sounds nice, but where's the line? What are the limits? We humans need concrete guides. We need clear boundaries to operate in. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as gruesome as it is, is easy to understand. The penalty for a crime should be equal to the crime, is what it's saying. We read phrases like, turn the other cheek, and give our cloak as well, go the extra mile, and give to the one who asks, but what are the limits to them? Do we give our cloak till our closet is empty? Do we turn the cheek till we are beat up and defeated? We need to be careful because we can lift phrases out of their context and inter interpret them as directives for what nice people do to serve others. So our, our culture champions niceness and service and going the extra mile as though we're being extra helpful. Even there's a lot of businesses today that say, hey, go the extra mile to talk about the quality of their service. But the going the extra mile phrase isn't about quality of service. Jesus uses the phrase go the extra mile he, when he says, you know, don't resist an evil person. It's nothing about service. So to get at what Jesus is teaching, let's take a moment and look at four pictures that Jesus is using in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, all four of these are statements that follow an important phrase, and we need to remember this. Um, all these four statements follow the phrase, do not resist an evil person. So they must all be understood with don't resist an evil person. And all of these illustrations give us examples of how not to resist an evil person. And they allude to the purpose of that as well. Jesus is calling you to understand love. So however you are injured, however you're wronged, you must refuse to satisfy yourself by taking revenge and instead you're to respond with mercy. So let's go to the first one, cheek for cheek. That is, it's really talking about facing insult. There it's in Matthew 5:39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. There we go, there's that phrase, right? And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Ah, turn the cheek. Turn the other cheek is a familiar phrase. Instead of slapping back, you offer more. And you resist the urge to strike, strike back. Well, first, we need to understand that Jesus was speaking about public insult, 
A slap across the face was to show disdain. Jesus is not addressing physical harm, and he's especially not addressing abuse. In no way should we ever read these words as if someone uh, if someone's abusing you, that you should just turn the other cheek and take more abuse. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. But he is talking about public insult and humiliation. And that is something that's very frequent in our world today. We live in a world full of mockery, don't we? And the internet is the soil in which most insults are grown anymore. Uh, perhaps it's worse now because we feel we can hide behind a screen or we can... Uh, uh, insult a, a person or shame a person and and there's a digital crowd that will agree with us and make us feel like we are not alone in our righteousness to to go after the someone and insult them um, it's a dangerous time there's a lot of uh, shaming and humiliation and insulting happen and Jesus tells us that uh, when we experience public insult we offer the other cheek we don't retaliate he says absorb the hit don't keep the process going. Break the cycle. If you are a Christian, your identity in Jesus, you need to know this, your identity in Jesus cannot be changed by someone else's words or opinions. But your ego can cause you to let go of Jesus. So, turn the other cheek. The second thing is to hand over your coat. That is, give more than what is demanded. Matthew 5.40 says, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat over as well. Jesus' second picture comes from a legal setting of a lawsuit. One commentator points out that this teacher says, Don't even wait. Uh, this teaching says, Don't even wait for the court to decide what's going on. Just give more than what's asked for. Would you be comfortable doing that? <laughs> one could even say that Jesus doesn't care how the judge might rule just to give to the one who would sue. Even if you are innocent and that might be and might be spared by the judge, give. That's hard, isn't it? Well, here's something about the outer cloak. It's a basic need. Even the poor had such a cloak, and often it was their only shelter during the night. Today we might say, give the shirt off your back. Well, that's giving that's generous. But Jesus is asking us to give in a way that cuts into our bottom line. It gives away our financial security. Would you do that? That's not an important question to ask. Could you give more than what's demanded of you? Especially if it felt unjust or was unjust? That's the picture Jesus is painting. Then he talks about going the extra mile. This is not just about service. That's what so many people think. Going the extra mile. Going above and beyond the call of duty. This is about conscripted service. You see there, it's in Matthew 5, 41. It says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. The third example is one that is particularly foreign to us. It's not an example, as I said, of customer service. It's an example of forced labor. The Romans were the rulers of the world. Their armies were everywhere maintaining order and power. And those soldiers in the army, they needed to travel. And so there were laws set up to help them to travel. And a soldier could ask anyone in the empire to carry their gear for one mile. Couldn't carry it beyond one mile, but they could carry it for one mile. So here's a picture for you. 
You've got the Jewish people. They are occupied and oppressed by the Romans. And Jesus is telling the crowd, who is Jewish, and he's telling his disciples, who are Jewish, help your oppressor. You know, an example of this happened during the crucifixion of Jesus. You have Simon of Cyrene. It's there in Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. It says, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. That's soldiers forcing someone to carry, well, it's the cross, but it's their gear. They're following the law. So what difference does a second mile make? Because Jesus says, don't just go one mile if they ask you. Go two. Well, first, going a second mile moves you from being an object of forced labor to a person who chooses to participate, a volunteer. The first mile makes you livestock, just hauling the gear for someone. The second is a declaration of your humanity. And then the second point about going two miles is that going a second mile put the Roman soldier in a bit of a predicament. It put them at the mercy of the person who carried the gear for a second mile because now that person has broken Roman law and the soldiers broken Roman law, letting them carry their gear for two miles. And so going the second mile, put them at your mercy. What Jesus is suggesting was not to make your enemies squirm, but to seek ways to bring mercy into their lives. And then there's that fourth and final statement that Jesus makes. Give when asked, essentially is what he's saying. It's there in Matthew 5, verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In the Gospel of Luke, we find a much more difficult version of this teaching. It's there in Luke chapter 6, verses 30 through 31. Give to everyone who would who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We like the last part. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. But that's a very tough passage. If anyone takes what belongs to you, don't ask for it back. Like theft, really? Actually, if you go to Luke chapter 6, verses uh, 27 through 36, that's uh, Luke's version of our whole text for today's sermon. And it'd be worth it for you if you want to do a little Bible study to read the two passages side by side. So you can read Matthew 5, 38 through 48, and then you could read Luke 6, 27 through 36. The similarities you find between the two passages and the differences between the two will highlight ideas that you don't want to miss. So here, when you read Luke's version, he emphasizes that you're not just giving to someone who asks. Luke tells us that a person is taking what they shouldn't, and we shouldn't ask for it back. Ah, that's tough. That's really hard. Those are the four pictures that Jesus paints in this passage. And it says, instead of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, demanding vengeance and justice, do these instead. It helps to understand those four pictures, those four illustrations, some of the context behind them. But it doesn't make them any easier to follow because we still are going to ask, well, what are the limits? How sustainable is this? How many times can I give my cloak away before I have nothing left? What about injustice? Do we just let injustice happen? What about my rights? We don't like our rights being stepped on, do we? Are we to become a doormat to the world? Is that what's being taught here? No, not at all. 
Charles Spurgeon says this, We are to be as the anvil when bad men are the hammers. You decide that you are going to be an anvil. And that's strong. But how do you do this? How do we sum up what Jesus is asking his disciples to do to, in our text today? He says, do not resist an evil person. But then Jesus pushes you and me even further by calling us to love our enemies and to pray for them. And that can lead to some miraculous evangelism. So what can we learn from this passage? A lot of things. But we're a people that really like to take um, revenge and justice. That's just human nature. I remember seeing a few years ago a video on the internet of a man who parked in a handicapped parking space and ran into an office building and um, it, it looked like he just did it for convenience and people saw that he parked his car and ran in so they knew he didn't look handicapped. So a group of individuals took it upon themselves to render justice and so they covered his car completely and totally in post-it notes, those sticky notes that you find in the office setting. Every inch of his car was covered. And when he walked out to get in his car, there was a whole crowd of people and they jeered at him, especially when they could see that he wasn't handicapped. And they laughed and they pointed fingers and they yelled at him. And he jumped into his car and he turned on the windshield wipers. And then uh, with almost no visibility, he drove away. It's a pretty dangerous situation, actually. And then the comments below the video, I don't know if you like to read those or not, some of them are pretty funny, uh, but the comments below this video were also a form of personal justice. Most of them were about karma and how the jerk deserved it. But you know, there's laws on how to deal with someone who's violated a handicapped parking space. We don't have to render personal justice. It might feel good, but it's not our job. When we want people to get what's coming to them, we put ourselves in a state where we will struggle to render justice that is fair. We're liable to be biased in our retaliation. And so Jesus is calling us to break the cycle, to be cycle breakers instead of cycle perpetrators, just getting everybody angry. If we perpetuate the cycle and we keep going eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you know what? The whole world's going to go blind. And if you go tooth for tooth long enough, no one's going to enjoy steak dinner anymore. The purpose was to forbid revenge, not encourage justice. That's why God said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, don't take it any farther. And now Jesus is again saying, you know, it's not about revenge. Because now people were using eye for eye and tooth and tooth for revenge. It's about justice. And now Jesus says it's about relationship. He's not prohibiting the administration of justice. But rather, he's forbidding us from taking the law into our own hands. That's something we need today, isn't it? So Jesus does all kinds of things in our text today. He calls us to see people before we see problems. Because it's so easy to fix them the problem and get angry with people, but see a person instead. Jesus calls us to value relationship more than a conflict. 
And Jesus calls us to transform the situation from taking to giving. And Jesus calls us away from revenge to mercy. God hates evil and God is just. But his solution to evil and his justice is really aimed at reconciliation. And so should ours. Jesus is the fulfillment of these teachings. He is the one who is able to completely live out these words. Think for a moment about Jesus and his arrest and his crucifixion. He didn't resist the temple guards in the Garden of Gethsemane. Instead, he restored the ear of a guard when Peter cut it off. Jesus didn't resist, resist the Sanhedrin when they ran a sham trial in the middle of the night with false charges. He didn't resist Pontius Pilate. He turned the other cheek when the Romans flogged him and mocked him in preparation for the crucifixion. Jesus even prayed for his enemies. From the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus did not resist the evil done to him. But evil did not prevail. An evil, an evil person cannot take away what you give. John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18. Powerful verses about Jesus giving himself. It reads like this. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 reads like this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I've always wondered how that verse worked. Love covers over a multitude of sins. How does that happen? Well, I can tell you, it has no greater application than in the person of Jesus. Jesus, his love, led to his sacrifice. And that sacrifice covers our sins if we just receive. Now Jesus is calling us to not a human standard of how to treat others, but a divine standard. Will you do it? Will you seek to live with that holy type of living? All right, one final story here and then we'll be done. In The Grace of Giving, Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. His name was Peter Miller, who lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and he enjoyed the friendship of George Washington, but also in the same town of Ephrata was a man named Michael Whitman. And he was an evil-minded sort of man who did all he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason, and he was sentenced to die. So Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. No, Peter, said General Washington, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, said Peter, the old preacher, he's the bitterest enemy I have. What, cried Washington, you walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did. Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. And perhaps that is one of the big lessons that Jesus is getting at here. He's calling us to live a holy life. And in that holy life, 
we are to look for ways to turn enemies into friends. Now I know not every enemy is going to become a friend. Some of them are going to be quite harsh. But it is our calling to do everything we can to turn them from an enemy to a friend for the purpose. Well, one, we want friends, but also for the purpose of them hearing the gospel, of knowing Jesus, and experiencing eternal life. Will you do that? Will you live in such a way that you will try your best to turn enemies into friends? Go with Jesus. Now, I may have just said in the other podcast, Go With Jesus, but I do want to offer up a prayer here for you. Um, And I know that making uh, enemies into friends is a very challenging task. So here is a prayer I think we can all get behind. O God and creator of all, whose Son commanded us to love our enemies, lead them and us from prejudice to truth. Deliver them and us from hatred, from cruelty, and from revenge. And in your good time, enable us all to stand reconciled before you in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now truly, go with Jesus.